0: Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Another big week at the cinema.
1: Yes, it was. <laughs> Did you know. hear Julia Roberts is making not only her first, but two forays into television? No. What's she doing? Yes, one is in production over at HBO, and it's called Today Will Be Different, based on the Maria Semple novel. Her other one is called Homecoming, and this one I find super interesting because it's based on a podcast. Really? Yes, it was a fictional podcast that came out in November of 2016. They just started up again with the second season, Mm -hmm. and it stars Katherine Keener. Oscar Isaac, oh my gosh. David Schwimmer, huh. Amy Sedaris, yep, and they did something very interesting. They're sponsored by iBooks, and so they also came out God, with a book right? Yeah, right? via iBooks, which you can read or you can just do the audio. And now it's going to be a TV show. Yes, hello, hi. Walter, Heidi. Yes,
0: hi,
1: hi Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, do you mind if I record this to you? Sure, sure. It's just for my reference. Okay. So, Oh, is there an aquarium? Why don't we sit down? Today is April 10th, 2017, 9:03 a.m., speaking with homecoming client Walter Cruz. This is week one, session one. I'm Heidi Bergman, EID 101078. We're in my office at the facility.
0: You know what's amazing about that? First of all, the first thing that's amazing is when you said Julia Roberts was getting into television, I still equate television with the, um, you know, NBC, ABC, CBS. And when then you said HBO, I felt like saying, that's not really television. It's like, <laughs> maybe we have to come up with, like, it's Moovision, you know, like, or something.
1: I like yeah, it. Yeah,
0: because... You know, it's not really television. Would you agree? I mean, there are no commercials. You're, it's really, I mean, we have to start distinguishing. You're right. Literally, it is television because HBO's on TV. But um, I don't know. It
1: just, I, you know, I don't know. Would she have done NBC? I don't think so. I don't think and so. And you know what? You are absolutely right. There's a convergence. It's the same way we were talking about Game of Thrones last week. I know, and right? that's HBO. But you can also watch it in some indie theaters who host screenings so you can see it on the big screen. And the second series that she's doing, Homecoming, that's gonna be on Amazon. So you're right, I think that's part I of know, your stra- vision yeah, stra- as well. I mean,
0: you know, Julia can do HBO just like Reese Witherspoon can do HBO, but she would never have done A B C Monday night film. Do you know <laughs> You know what I mean like mm-hmm. I don't know they're
1: not quite quite there yet. Interesting. Really? That's great. Good for her. Well, speaking of this crossover, this is some kind of exciting news. They just announced the president of the jury for the 74th annual Venice Film Festival. Did you see this Hollister? No. Who was it last year? Last year it was Sam Mendes. Ah, oh, Sam Mendes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So guess who it's going to be this year? Alec Baldwin. You know, it's actually going to be a woman. Oh, well, there's a shocker yeah. right there. <laughs> I know. First Reese time in eleven years. That's a very good guess. Annette Bening. Oh. Huh. Now Hollister, I always forget the Venice Film Festival is the world's oldest. It's four years older than the Cannes Film Festival. And I was kind of excited about this. Guess who they're going to FET this year? Two people with Lifetime Achievement Awards. I have no idea. They might be older than the festival. Uh, Jane Fonda and Robert Redford. Oh, that's nice. So this this goes back to your MooVision concept again. They're going to screen their new movie. They're doing another movie together called Our Souls at Night. It won't be in competition, perhaps because it's being brought out by... Netflix.
0: Well, right in the end, they can't put it in exactly.
1: So now here's my little trivia for you, right off the bat. Okay. Do you know how many movies Jane Fonda and Robert Redford have done together?
0: Um, let me
1: think. Three. Yes, correct. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. So this will be their fourth. Oh my
0: God, huh? And by yep. the way, I can't name any of them. <laughs> I just made it up.
1: <laughs> I bet you can. Well, you're absolutely right. So the first is from 1966. This goes to show how long they have both been, you know, at the top of their fields. The chase which starred Marlon Brando. Uh The next year they did Barefoot in the Park, uh-huh. and then in 1979 they did the Electric Horseman.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, well, you mm-hmm. know maybe there's a reason it's been that long. I don't see them together, but that's okay. You know what? I don't have to. Other people need to.
1: I like them together, so I'm excited to see it. Cool. Very
0: cool. So that wraps up our news, huh? Unless you got something else. You know I got nothing for you. Nothing.
1: You always have I something. No, but I start. don't. I have
0: no scoops. I was just too busy. I was too busy watching film, going to film, and packing because I'm moving, moving, moving. So you say that's
1: like the second most traumatic thing that could happen to a person. You know,
0: I've moved about 40 times in my life, so it's never (laughs) been traumatic. But this time, I just keep walking around looking at rooms going, my, what will I do with that? Should I pack it? And I haven't done much. But anyway.
1: Moving right along. Are are you in a witness relocation program? Uh, Yes.
0: (laughs) I should be, actually. I absolutely should be. Uh, But here we go. We're going to move into... I did
1: watch Ozark. And did you? I did. Speaking of a family on the move, (laughs) that's kind of a big plot point in this new series on Netflix. Money,
0: that which separates the haves from the have-nots. Patience, frugality, sacrifice. It's so funny because I started watching it and I had watched maybe the The first three or four episodes of Breaking Bad, Mm -hmm. and then I didn't carry on with it. I just felt like it, I don't know, I just after the, I don't know, the last two episodes that I watched, I couldn't get into. So I didn't get into Breaking Bad. But then I thought, okay, it's set up and it's sort of shot like Breaking Bad, like the, you know, it's almost like in black and white. You don't remember many colors in this, in Ozark. And then I thought, no, no, it's the accountant. Because Jason Bateman plays what you think is a normal accountant. Turns out he's really not a normal accountant at all. He's basically on the run, but he, they know exactly where he is, and he's got to pull some punches to be able to win. But I, I thought it was ex I just didn't know Jason Bateman had that in him, did you?
1: Well, you might have to define what he had in him.
0: because <laughs> I thought he me- played a psychopath, a psychopath that... Uh, his his calm rage during these parts where it looked like he might die or someone was gonna die or whatever I thought it was just stellarly brilliant. I think the premise is not new. Again, it's you know Breaking Bad, it's The Accountant, it's all of these things. I thought it was I thought it was really really well done. And I think Laura Linney, who I'm never I always feel like she's on the verge of you know a hysteric you know hysterical female or You know, it's a mad, 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 mad world or something. And I just thought she was, you know, really strong also. They are strong in fooling us, but then showing us after they truly come out that they did give hints. I just didn't pick them up.
1: You know what I mean? A couple points there. Okay. The first, very interesting that you compare it to The Accountant because it was written by Bill Dabuka, who wrote the screenplay. God knows, you know, I never look up
0: those things. Yeah, wow. Okay.
1: Might be one of the issues I had with Uh it as the same issues I had with his other screenplays, which we can touch on later. But Jason Bateman's character to me is so despondent and so withdrawn that it made it difficult for me to watch because I thought the scenes lacked dramatic tension. So just to give you an example, in the pilot... When that woman is shot and stuffed headfirst into a barrel, you barely see a reaction go across Jason Bateman's face. When a man is shoved off a skyscraper and literally splats on the pavement in front of him, and Jason Bateman later recounts that word for word, he turns around, he gets back in his car. Laura Linney, I'm still recovering from the dinner, and I love Laura Linney, but in the pilot, I thought, okay, it's kind of packed with stereotypes. You've got your unethical financial type, Josh Randall from Ed, a cheating spouse, a surly teenager, a younger sibling who doesn't fit in at school, a Mexican who drug lord. also
0: might be a psychopath. You know,
1: it's filled with exposition when it could have had dramatic confrontations. And so I... Watched the pilot, and I did watch the second episode just to well, see you know, call me, is this going to pick up.
0: Call me easily entertained, hashtag easily entertained if you want. But I thought they were all really, really good at what they did. And the truth is that if you look at Hannibal Lecter, not to bring Hannibal in to yet another podcast, <laughs> but if you look at the character of Hannibal Lecter, he would have reacted the same way Jason Bateman did. And if you look at the what, what a true psychopath is like... Jason Bateman's responses was very psychopathic. I mean, he calm, calculated, not upset. Now, and also when the when the guy did splat in front of him, he did pause before he went back to the car and drove he away. He paused. He paused. But, and know. he was a little, you could tell he was like, oh, there's a body in front of me. I, you know, I think he acted exactly as a true psychopath would. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer... When they picked him up and arrested him, he said, yes, I killed a number of... I mean, he, that's just the way they but are.
1: if they're trying to portray him as a psychopath, they should he lead a, a better... They should leave a little better trail that, oh, look, this is about a psychopath. Because instead, you have a lot of questions. Like, why is Laura Linney with him? What did they ever see in each other? Has she always known see, about this this is anti- where you
0: have to, you've, got, you've got to hold up your hand and say, I watched two episodes of the 10 that were up there. So the answers to your questions come a little later, and you know what? Well, they
1: talk about a slow burn. (laughs) I can hold up my hand and say, I gave this two hours of my life, which was longer than Eh. Dunkirk, and I should know by now what's going to happen. But this amused me, Hollister. Guess what else Bill Dubuque wrote?
0: Um, Okay,
1: The Accountant,
0: I'm feeling kind of
1: nostalgic about this. Okay, I don't know. Here's your clue. It's the movie that brought you and me together in the world of reviewing movies. Oh, God, like I'm supposed to remember that? Yeah. For me, that was kind uh, of a pivotal moment in my podcasts life. podcasts later, I'm supposed to remember that? I have no idea what. It's the movie that you did a written review of, and you asked me what I thought about the movie. This was before well, we ever got into Well, I really didn't want audio. to know. I just wanted you to tell me how brilliant my <laughs> review
0: was. what? Right, well, wait, what movie is it? The Judge. Oh,
1: The infamous Hank Palmer. The jaded lawyer with no respect for the law.
0: So, Grandpa
1: Palmer's dead, too? No, Grandpa Palmer's dead to me. It's like a figure of speech.
0: I love The Judge, and you did not like The Judge, yep.
1: You loved it, and you sent me that text saying, I just saw the most brilliant movie, you have to go see it. And I texted back. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, all right, rubbing, rub my nose in it. What did it say? No, but this is this goes to show the divide you and I are having over Ozark. and Okay, well, the yeah, accounted. we don't
0: have to agree. Yeah. Bill
1: Dubuque and you have some special decoder that I'm not privy to, but okay. I said, when it came to the judge, my first stumbling block was the portrayal of women. I said either they were shot through a Gaussian filter, (laughs) watering hydrangeas, and weren't allowed to talk. Or the one person, the one woman who really got to talk was Vera Farmiga in bad biker clothes, where that role was just wasted on her. Yeah. But okay, this was my big point. I said, in the judge, the great falling out between father and son is... Question mark, Robert Downey Jr. is so mad at his father that he refuses to visit his mother for at least two decades, this, yeah. no matter how sweet she was, because RDJ got high, totaled the car his father probably bought for him, crippled his brother, and ruined his professional baseball career. And this brings me to Ozark. <laughs> I have similar questions. Why did Jason Bateman get into money laundering? You know, his Because partner he's a out he psychopath doing really do But I need to know more. Did Laura Linney know about this? Yes, she did. well, you you find all that out along the way, my dear. It's all there. Okay. Now, last week when we were talking about friends from college, you said, you know, it was just too slow. The payoff was far too slow. And here I'm like, okay, it's trying to be bloodline, which I thought was too slow a burn for me. I just they lost me. They didn't move it quickly enough.
0: Okay, I can say Friends from College had too long to get to the payoff because I stayed around to get the payoff. <laughs> but when you only when you only watch two episodes of a 10 episode series, I, I, I you know, the payoff begins, you know, pretty quickly and there was a lot happening in episode 1 and
1: 2. I mean, But these episodes are at least twice as long as each as episode of Friends from College. And the pilot, if he didn't keep retelling us what we'd already seen, he could have moved it along a lot faster, but it was filled with exposition.
0: Uh, It gets better and better is all I can tell you. I think maybe, maybe it's a little slow at the beginning, but I think you'd have to watch it a little further along to say that. Although, I will say, it is not a quick fix of 22 things happening in each episode, which was my problem with the series from last week. I think the plot of this is really good, and I think there are lots of complex things unwinding his relationship. Relationship with his children, his relationship with his wife, his his relationship with himself, his relationship with his new business partners down in the Ozarks. Um, I, you know, there's a lot going on. But what's interesting is all the shows that this guy wrote, they all did appear to me to be in black and white, meaning not exactly technical or if you will. And so I can understand it's a little it's a little depressing to watch. It I think I was just so excited to see Jason Bateman have all these layers of intricacy to him that I was really, really happy to be in it with him. And I also think that Laura Linney, who is truly just trying to hold herself together, With all of these things happening, you know, one after another, her lover's son coming down there. I mean, there's so many things that happen that show who she is in the end. I won't tell you what happened. At one point, her lover's son, who you've already we've already uh, acknowledged has been thrown out a window, her lover's spite because of her husband, her lover's son comes down and says to her in the end of their conversation, "Did you love him?" And I'm not gonna give you the answer she gave, but we learn a lot by these small details that come very slowly laid out. I mean, this is more like a walk through a Nebraska cornfield than a walk down a shoreline where there's a million boats and things happening. However, it's worth the payoff. I think it's really, really well done. We believe your husband's partner was murdered. What? Let's all stop playing this game, shall we? lying, the running, aren't you both tired? We made a choice to move our family to a more peaceful place.
1: And I think the dialogue is really good, actually. Really good. Oh, I thought the dialogue from the first two hours was mostly retelling the scenes. It had potential, and I do love Laura Linney. Jason Bateman is harder for me to buy as an adult because there's something about him visually that I always think of him as... Being a, a man boy. Don't you think he Oh my God.
0: I'm not gonna don't tell any nobody tell him what she said. Could hurt you could really hurt his feelings but saying something like that.
1: I'm sure I could, but if he's a psychopath, you told me they don't have feelings. Well, well he, so. No, they have
0: feelings. They just, Hopefully yeah, he's they still just in character. keep them to them themselves. But okay, don't you think Steve Carell looks a little bit like Jason
1: Bateman? Um <laughs> I don't Is know. that a Maybe big resounding no? <laughs> Not so much. Maybe mixed with Ewan McGregor and Michael J. Fox. Yeah. I,
0: I have never seen Jason. I've seen Jason Bateman on television. I mean, I've seen him. I knew who he was. But I I don't think I've ever seen him
1: on anything. You didn't see him in This Is Where I Leave You? I don't think I did. Should I have? You saw him in The Family Fang. You did a, a write-up on that one. Arrested I, oh, Development.
0: I, so I don't think I've really... I've seen him maybe on talk shows, but I, I've never seen him. So I was delighted to see that the guy has some chops. I thought he had some acting chops. And I think when he's sitting there, A... Getting, you know, trying to sell the guy and giving him a chance to save his own life. I, you know, it's like, yes, well done. This is just another betrayal, isn't it? How long have you been planning this?
1: You have walled me out. Did you think Laura Linney and he were a believable couple? I did, especially later on.
0: In other words, now that I know them for 10 episodes, I do think they're a believable couple. I do.
1: But do you think it should take that long?
0: Well, no, I, I, I believe them in episode, I probably believe them, yeah, I believe them in episode three, four, five. I, I mean, I don't know what episode I believed it, but it wasn't at the end that I believed it. I believed it pretty much. You can see that they had two children together. They went different ways. Um, you know, I don't want to give a lot of plot spoilers away, but there's one thing, there's a scene at the beginning where he's watching, um, he's watching porn on, on his computer and it turns out later there's a huge reveal later that makes so much sense around so many things. It's like more than you knew halfway through that episode. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like, they do tie it up brilliantly. And you, again, you were given these leads and these, Ideas you just didn't know how to read them. And so I think it's interwoven beautifully into a, a long-term
1: plot for sure. I really liked it. Really liked it. Let me ask you this. If if this had dropped under the traditional TV schedule where it was one episode a week, would you have ever tuned back question. into episode two? I don't two? know. I don't know. Probably I would have. I think maybe when you control fast forward, then maybe in a series like this, it drops all at once. You can just see what the payoff You know, it is might quicker.
0: have been the psychopath. Like the minute I realized he was a psychopath, <laughs> which was three quarters of the way through episode one, when I realized how easily he looked like he was the honest one compared to his partner, and it turned out he was as dishonest as his partner, I was like, okay, got to know who that guy is. I probably would have watched it, yeah. I probably would have. It's doing very well. It's it's uh, it's getting a strong positive response. Where's my five million dollars? almost going to die. Relax. Why do I have this feeling we both know that you'd be better off dead? They're going. They're definitely going to season two. They've already announced it. So, but you know, you don't have to like everything that I
1: do. We can like different things, right? Well, seeing that we came together in this little venture over the judge. I think that was our (laughs) founding principle. Isn't it
0: interesting, though, that he wrote that too? That is sort of wild, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I wonder if there's a, I wonder if there was a psychopath in the judge. I'll have to go back and watch it again. Maybe there was. who knows Okay, but we did go to a movie
1: this week. Do you want an intro? I have the feeling on this one Hollister that you should do. Oh, the did honors. you not like Dunkirk either? I can tell you what I liked about it and I just want to give this caveat that no matter what I am about to say, my comments only go towards the movie. So I mean please do not let this be a reflection on the real life oh, heroes yeah. no, or the always, historical significance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or always, always any always. of that and even I feel bad about that because in my screening there were actually quite a few World War II vets hmm. and that to me was perhaps the most moving thing about the movie The enemy tanks have stopped Why? Why waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel?
0: Well, it's very funny because when I watched it, I did not think that it was a good movie. Really? Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, then, yeah, do the intro. Okay, I'm
0: going to do the intro. So it's, you know, it's so interesting because World War II movies make up the predominant number of movies that are done around wars. And I read an article this mm-hmm. weekend after coming back that maybe the reason is because it's truly the last honorable
1: war there has been. And, and, and we've discussed this yeah, before. That yeah. could also be because it was the last war before the advent of television. That could actually yeah, I never show bought what a battle that I looks mean, you, like. Yeah,
0: you brought that up before. I never thought that was was so much it, but I do think that there's so much honor around World War II, and not around some of the wars after that. That I think that probably is why there's stories to tell where people come out feeling good or whatever. The other thing is, I kept on the way, way over. I went with a couple who are friends of mine, and I'm like, well, so tell me about Dunkirk. <laughs> I know about D-Day, and then I realized that. I never learned about Dunkirk in American school because we weren't there yet. And, of course, we're so narcissistic of people that it wasn't in my history book. I mean, it was probably a paragraph, but certainly not studied the way D-Day was. And so I didn't really realize that. I was like, well, if the boats dropped them off on Dunkirk, why couldn't they come pick them up? And the answer was because (laughs) Dunkirk, basically Hitler pushed all of the French and British forces to Dunkirk. They were moving so quickly that they pushed them there, and that's how four hundred thousand people ended up on the beach with no boats to get home. So it wasn't like D Day, which I had assumed was like, okay, they dropped them off. Well, why don't you stick around and give me a return trip? You know, but this might
1: be another reason why we're not in the military. <laughs> it's probably a good you know thing I'm that like, we stick to reviewing I understand. movies. Whenever boats
0: dropped them off, why don't they come pick them up? But anyway, so the story, and it's a true one, is that three hundred thousand people were removed from the beaches of Dunkirk by 30,000 small boats, yachts, um, some lifeboats off bigger boats. I mean, basically in nine days, they went back and forth numerous times a day. It's only 20 miles across the channel. I always thought it was a lot further than that. And so it was one of the big deals that had ever, you know, I mean, if, if all those men had perished, the result of the war might have been very, very different. And interestingly enough... The German troops did not push forward and annihilate them, which they could have easily done with, you know, air power and everything else. And they didn't do it because they thought they had these tanks that could really hurt them. Or there had been one resistance by the British that wiped out, you know, a a, a chunk of, of Germans. So they thought they were much stronger than they were. So they didn't come after them. And that's how that was allowed to happen, because I kept saying, why did the Germans allow them for nine days to do this? So this story is like a day in the life of these of, of these rescues. It was done with with some kind of cinematography that Chris Nolan, who did the movie, said he wanted to do it in this movie so that you couldn't watch this on TV and get the same effect. So this was a huge blockbuster, more than $100 million taken in overseas and in America in the first weekend. And but a good chunk of it
1: were in the um 3D uh IMAX theaters. I will definitely say the strengths of this movie are the cinematography, the costumes, the aerial photography, the explosions, let alone the real life heroes behind the story. <laughs> an intimate epic and people are raving about it but it's two genres which really are not my thing one is that it's really just a battle there's no questions about whether or not to enter war or how they got here or you never see the or backstories of
0: any of the people who we see either
1: exactly and the other is waiting they're all waiting for something to happen so to me that's not exactly my wheelhouse writer director christopher nolan said that he wanted virtual reality without the headset. So if that's your thing, where you want sound effects and the sound of the planes and the bombs and the bullets, you know, you'll enjoy Dunkirk. And in fact, this was his pitch to Warner Brothers, okay? We're going to put the audience into the cockpit of a spitfire and have them dogfight the Messerschmitts. We're going to put them on the beach, feeling the sand, getting everywhere, confronting the waves. And Hollister, this is... Why it's not really a movie made for me. There's very little dialogue. There's very little characterization. There's very little plot. In fact, it's a very easy movie to spoof. <laughs> and this is how I would do it. If I were gonna spoof this movie, cutting between three scenes. Okay, ready? I'm not sure you should spoof this
0: movie with all these tragedies, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> but see, that's why I mean the yeah. real life story yeah. trumps everything. But the movie, you'd cut between one, a man in a plane with a low fuel gauge. Then you'd cut to a ship hold riddled by bullets where the water line is rising and you don't know if the men are going to drown. And then you cut to Kenneth Branagh on a pier, squinting into the distance, awaiting rescue. And then just rinse and repeat.
0: You can practically see it from here. What? Home.
1: And then one civilian boat so even though there were so many you focus on the one and if you're gonna focus on one let it be with mark rylance because i do love him i think he's a tremendous actor
0: well here's the thing it was shot in 65 millimeter as opposed to digital so and he did that so that you could really feel like you were in the shot and Mm -hmm. which by the way i think a lot of war movies you know you know, do I mean I'm I, I don't I, but apparently in a much bigger way. Now, when we left the theater, we had one man with us, and he said, "This is the best movie I ever saw." And I said, "Excuse me," and he said, <laughs> "This is the best movie I ever saw." And I said, "But." it didn't even make sense like sometimes it was night on the beach but it was day on the boat which was 10 miles from the beach i'm like i don't understand when did the sun go down and what day are we in <laughs> did you notice that it was sort of like are we in night are we in day i mean and also it's sort of like wait how did uh, it just seemed like these shots of uh, you know, uh, it just to me there was no plot line, and I was like, "Where's the romance?" And I didn't mean that from mm-hmm. a sense of there should have been a female person in there, w- of which there was zero. Which I, you know, no, that's not true. There were two nurses on one boat I saw,
1: yeah. But one offered jam, and the other offered yeah, tea. Exactly, and that was it. I mean, I don't yeah. even know if they well, said the enough guys, words. To I saw the sad guys card. on
0: Jimmy Fallon, and they're like, "If I never eat jam again, it'll be <laughs> way too soon." <laughs> but. um but to me, it was disjointed, and my, I was getting a headache, and I was like, I don't understand what happened, and why is that the Navy Admiral staying, and then he's saying, he's staying for the French. Does that mean the French got off? Like, what happened? I, you know, it's like, I just felt like I was in this this kaleidoscope of pictures and shorts, that were telling me little bits of a story, but also the enormity of 30,000 small boats. I never saw that on the film at all. You never saw it. And as far as the film showed, maybe there were three Spitfire planes and that was it in the entire experience of Dunkirk. I mean, it didn't... In his in his desire to show individual experiences, he missed the overall picture of the enormity of the whole thing. And to me, that was a mistake in this because there's not a lot of stuff out there on Dunkirk. You need to have a I, beginning, a middle, and an end.
1: I could not agree more. So because you never leave the battlefield, there is no context. I would have loved to have seen Winston Churchill give one of his most famous rousing speeches ever because this to me is something really interesting. Churchill became prime minister two weeks before the Battle of Dunkirk.
0: Well, and if it had failed, everybody says he would have been ousted. He was on very tenuous ground anyway. And so Dunkirk was, right. we would have had a different prime minister
1: which could have made a different outcome, no question. Right. I mean, his government was completely yeah. in disarray when he took over. Talk about a huge decision that you have to make, as opposed to okay, we're already in battle. Everyone we see is on the same side. All the characters are interchangeable along well, with Well, and haircuts. Chris
0: Nolan would say he didn't have time to tell that story. He was just there to tell what happened at the battle and nothing more.
1: He definitely had time. And even when you think about the scope, they hoped to evacuate 45,000 at best. And the fact they saved 338,000 lives, that is huge. So I did appreciate the fact that the gore level was a period gore level. So the same that you were saying about World War II being the last honorable war... At least it's not like modern day gore, like the Hurt Locker, where you see heads exploding. No, you didn't see any hands on the beach
0: or any of that stuff. Yeah, it was good. Right. Yeah. You
1: you don't see yeah. any of that, but you don't see interesting debates. I also or never saw anywhere place. near
0: four hundred thousand people. It seemed to me there were lines with tons of space between them of twenty five men. It just didn't make. I it just didn't come together for me. But at the same time, when you hear Chris Nolan talk about what he was trying to accomplish, his, his goal. Was to accomplish what he says he accomplished, to say nothing of the fact that it's so many people are going to this film. And again, you know, Cliff, who attended it with us, who said, This is the best film I ever saw. And I'm like, Oh, you know, by the way, normally when he comes to movies with us, he falls asleep halfway through. He didn't sleep once. And so, you know, I, I recognize that this just might not have been a good film, quote, for me you know, and maybe it's a new way of telling a story where there doesn't have to be a beginning, a middle, and an end. But even at the beginning, did you notice when it said one period and it said the mole?
1: Yes, I could have done without those two. Okay, well, heads. to say nothing
0: of the fact that I figured then that the kid who was running through was a mole from Germany. It didn't, I didn't know that the mole is the beachhead. I mean, that's, that meant the beach. <laughs> it was, and I'm like, Well, if you're not, if you're someone like me, who's totally, you know, not well read on and versed on these, these situations, it was sort of like, I got so confused, because I thought this was going to be a story about a German mole at
1: Dunkirk. (laughs) And there really is no story. It is a masterclass in visual filmmaking. But I really enjoyed the opening. So when you see that soldier and you can tell he he's wasn't a mole so after parched yep, exactly and he's trying to sip out of that rusted garden hose in that abandoned village because it's under attack and all of a sudden the bullets start firing and you see him running you think okay I'm I'm rooting for this guy who's already sympathetic to us in one shot you know the opening where the two soldiers try to get that stretcher with the dying soldier on board the ship, I thought, okay, moments like that showing true camaraderie I always find very moving. Wait, they were trying to get get themselves on the ship. Well, it's true. It's also cunning camaraderie, but when you see the other soldiers... Trying to save their own lives as well, step aside when they realize, okay, this is an injured soldier coming through. I was moved by any scene with Mark Rylance, and I was moved when you do get a glimpse of all the civilian boats coming on the horizon. But other than that, to me, it felt like one long classical music video of battle with Hans Zimmer's score. He's coming back round. He's coming back round! You know, where Hans Zimmer had me on high alert throughout the movie, you know, he won the Oscar for Lion King. He's worked with Christopher Nolan before on Interstellar, Inception. We talked about him a little bit in our podcast about that documentary about scoring a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, without Hans Zimmer's music, without the cinematography, there's really no story To recap,
0: Well, the other thing that's interesting about that is I found the music to be underwater music. Like, to me, it was like, you know how when the submarine is, you can hear the ping, ping, ping when they're underwater, like in Hunt for Red October? I found Mm -hmm. the music to be underwater music and way too pushy for me. It was like, okay, I get what you want me to be feeling here. But here's one thing I would like to state that I think was the strongest part of the movie for me is that I've never seen a World War II movie where I felt the enormity of the number of people. Normally when you see a World War II movie, you're following the plot of two or three people, and all the other soldiers are sort of background people, and you're not really thinking about their lot in life and being there. Whereas this movie, when you're under, when you're inside the hull of one of the boats that's leaving, you're so close up with all the guys, and they all have the same presence on the screen, meaning there is no, quote, star in that moment. And the enormity of the number of people was just huge. And I started to cry toward the end because I realized that all this suffering in World War II and in basically all wars, all this suffering was caused by one bad guy surrounded by five other bad guys. I mean, the fact that one guy, Hitler, And his band of merry, terrible men can cause such carnage for millions of people. All of a sudden, I thought, how does this happen where one person has this much power that this many people are sitting trying to get off a beach where they're going to surely die. And it made me really sad. And I decided that men need to be locked up from the time they're 21 and women need to rule the world because we don't do those things and no offense, it didn't have to happen. And so And I've never felt that in a World War II film. So then I thought maybe it was a good film because I've never felt the enormity of the number of people involved in anything as much as I did in that film.
1: Well, the flip side of that is what Mark Rylance said about it in terms of portraying the triumph of the human spirit. Mm -hmm. Because in his words, he said, the message of the film is that anyone can make a difference. And it certainly showed the strength of the civilian spirit. It didn't show the military necessarily in the best light. But, you know, I Well, I did I meet my that. next
0: husband in the film. I figured you would have already figured that out by now.
1: And it's not Mark Rylance? Are we going to have to fight over him?
0: Where are we going? Dunkirk.
1: I'm not going back. There's no hiding from this son. We have a job to do.
0: Yes, it is, but he's mine. Oh.
1: And I claimed I, him no, first I'm because sorry. I saw him in Boeing he Boeing is going in two thousand eight. My next husband, because that's the guy I've always wanted. He is such a talented actor. When I saw him in Boeing Boeing, that was one of his three Tonys. It was such a comedic role, uh-huh. and here he had such gravitas. Oh my god, Yeah. Oh my! Every look he had, you know, Oscar winner for Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies. I think he is. Definitely one of the most talented actors oh, alive. I know. Give him any Forget part. Forget
0: acting. I mean, I just want him. I, I just want him <gasps> in the room with me. He could be <laughs> reading a book. He doesn't have to speak to me. He just has to be there because everything felt better when he was, you know, in that boat. And, of course, the part was written, too, in a way that made him one of the great heroes, no question. But I really, really liked him a lot. I did, I
1: did, He definitely added a layer to the film. And someone else in the cast we can give a shout-out to was Harry Styles from the band One Direction was making his acting debut. (laughs) And you know what? I, 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 I
0: think he should stick to... You know, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't think he was great. Did you?
1: I don't know. I, I had a hard time telling all the soldiers apart. I, I feel like they had the same haircut. They were yeah. basically all had, you know, aligned motives. But I have a suggestion for our Blast from the Past film Uh-oh. for this week. okay. No, it's not an uh-oh. This was the first Christopher Nolan film I ever saw. He also wrote and directed this one. It was Memento, which I think to this day remains one of the most original movies I have ever seen. I never saw Should I seen? see it? Awake. Where am I? Some anonymous motel room. I guess I've already told you about my condition. Oh, well, only every time I
0: see you.
1: It's my memory. Amnesia. No, 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 it's different from that. I have no short-term memory. I know who I am, I know all about myself. I just, since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. I've told you this before, haven't I?
0: What's the last thing that you do remember?
1: He also did Insomnia huh. with Al Pacino, which I know you've mentioned before yeah. you enjoyed. It was a very atmospheric yeah, film. So I know he's better known for his Batman trilogy and huh. Inception and Interstellar, but I really enjoy those two, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, movies. You know, I
0: mean the guy obviously and also what a bold move to do a film like this. But we should also say that this movie is the first film this summer without any franchise potential to top the domestic box office all summer. And it did top it. I mean, big, big, big. And so already, and it's only been out one weekend, um, it just goes to show we don't have to be hemmed in, in my mind, by superhero
1: films where you can go buy something at, you know, a little figurine. You know, you say it's not a franchise film, but as you've pointed out, World War II has spawned more movies than any other story ever told. Yeah, but it but know? it isn't. So,
0: I mean, but also there's no there's no superhero that's going to be in the stores. You know, it's not it's not that kind of film.
1: So and yet I found Wonder Woman more riveting. I really yeah, did. Well, that's because we're women too. <laughs> well, no, I think there was a plot. There was dialogue. There was characterization. Well, on the it way home, along. the
0: guy in the car, we were arguing about whether this was a good film or not, and his wife sort of agreed with me, too. She was like, really? But um, he was like, well, you guys like Wonder Woman. I mean, in other words, I do think that in this particular case, it might be that it's just more appealing to the male gender than it is to the female gender. So if, if you were to ask me... Would you recommend going to this film? I would say if you have a guy in your life and you want to do him a favor, take him to this film.
1: Or just let him go by himself with a big headset and see the IMAX version. But I do love the theme of communal heroism. And I like the fact that they did recognize the real-life vets who shared their stories with the filmmakers and the real-life ships that were also involved in the filmmaking. And they did film big chunks of this film in Dunkirk. So kudos to the real-life heroes.
0: A miracle of deliverance achieved by valor, by perseverance, by perfect discipline, by faultless service, by resource, by skill, by unconquerable fidelity, is manifest to us all. Okay, we're going to leave the beaches and we're going to go to the funniest scenes on the screen, which is our list of
1: six this week. (laughs) If anyone can jump off a ship and, you yeah. know, head to a rescue boat. It's All awesome. now,
0: the same guy who went to the movie with us, um, we were at dinner a week or so ago. And I brought up a dinner that we were doing for our list of six this week, the funniest scenes in movies. And he said, oh, my God, I can help you with that. And I'm like, great. What? And he starts listing off these films. And Louise, his wife and I are like, that's not funny. Blazing Saddles. That's not a funny film. I didn't think Blazing Saddles was funny at all. And in fact, I don't even know if I saw it because I saw the stupid scenes around the campfire and I thought, this is not entertaining. And he was listing off these films and were like, Blazing Saddles, Life of Brian. We didn't think any of these movies were the least bit funny. And I just want to point that out that maybe, again, this gender thing transfers into this because the films I told him I was going to use, he was like, well, okay, that was fun. I mean, but we definitely were on a different plane. Do you know what I mean? I'm so curious what's going to be I know, I know. You and I might be on a different (laughs) plane too, but okay, you lead us us off. off. You go for it. Okay, so I'm going to start with Trading Places.
1: Is that the Eddie Murphy one?
0: Trading Places is really a serious film about, it's actually about the inequity of race in America, which was made palatable by the humor and absurdity of brilliance with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. It stands the test of time, and you can watch it now. I looked at pieces of it this weekend. Eddie Murphy, in the, f- in the scene that I chose, is being challenged by two police officers while he's panhandling, pretending to be a blind amputee from the war, they lift him off the cart. He's, you know, wheeling himself on, and his legs come down, and he says, oh my God, I can walk, I can see, and, he, and it's just very, 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 very funny, and very well done. I appreciate this, oh, this is beautiful, I can't believe, thank you, I don't know what to do. With. Glory be to God, praise Jesus.
1: You know, Halster, if you felt a chromosomal divide between your taste and Cliffs, yeah. he and I might have oh, All right, whatever. Are you telling me you thought bracing you <laughs> did not think saddles was funny? <laughs> I've never seen okay, that. exactly. All right, what All right, what do you got? Come at me, girlfriend. Okay, I'm going to start with something's got to give to choose a scene. I'm going to choose the hospital scene where Jack Nicholson is totally loopy okay, I think on his that's meds. Really funny. I think that's funny. Keanu Reeves says to Amanda Pete "Your dad's going to be
0: okay." He's not my dad. I'm sorry. Your granddad's going to be okay. You know, and there are other funny scenes in that film too, like when when the doctor's mm-hmm. passing out the water and they're like, "Thank you, doctor. Thank you, doctor." I mean, you know, <laughs> No, it's filled with funny scenes, it is. There are lots of... of and I and the schmatas comment in that. You're right, that film is filled with funny moments. It definitely okay. is. You you, you win Thank that you. round, okay? You win that okay. round. Okay. But I, I'm still sticking <laughs> with training. Okay, I'm going to move on to When Harry Met Sally.
1: Oh, I'm so glad it's on your list. I mean, how do I know I know?
0: Because they... Yes, because they... How do you know that they're really... What are you saying? I think it's one of the best combinations of leading actors in my opinion. Meg Ryan was at her best when she was paired with Billy Crystal in this film. And but what's also fun is I looked it up and the scene where she performs an orgasm in the in the diner really loud and which would never, quote, you know, of course would never have happened, but it started in rehearsal where Nora Ephron, who, you know, this is this is an interview now with Billy Crystal, and he says, it started in rehearsal where Nora Ephron, the screenwriter, who is so great, said to Rob Reiner, you know, women fake orgasms. And he was like, well, they haven't faked one with me. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, they, have. I mean, the conversation actually took place. So then Crystal said, um, Rob said... I want, so they decided to do it. Like he and and um, Meg Ryan decided to do it. And Meg said, I should do it in a public, you know, a pub, public place. So, although when the actual filming began, it was apparently a really rocky start. Like she wasn't good. So, Crystal was like, Meg was a little nervous. So, well, it was just so so, you know, it just wasn't good. And then even the second attempt failed. You know, as he, he referred to it as a lackluster, faked orgasm might one might attempt 12 years into marriage. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. So Reiner, the director, jumps in to say, I'm going to show you how to do it. So he was like, uh, I want you to do it this way, like this. And, and, and Billy Crystal said he sat down opposite um, Billy Crystal. So now it looks like I'm on a date with him or Sebastian Cabot. <laughs> he has an <laughs> orgasm that King Kong would be jealous of. <laughs> And then she got in and did it. So, and then apparently everybody stood up and cheered in the room. So it was a, a very funny interaction. Of it. it was added in after a conversation that Rob Reiner had with writer
1: Nora Ephron. So I thought it was my second choice. That really was what made that screenplay so successful. It was, is It right? really yeah. represented the male and female point of view. And of course, Rob Reiner's mother has what's perhaps the most famous cap to a scene ever. I'll have what she's having. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, you know, it's a great choice, Hollister. It was on my list. And for anyone Oh, it was on your who, list? Oh, good. hmm For anyone who wants to know more, they should check out our Nora Ephron tribute, where we did a special podcast. Yeah, to the late, great it Nora Ephron. Definitely And good. if anyone wants to see where it happened, they go to Katz's Deli on the Lower East Side in New York. And so what do you have next? Okay, I'm going to go with Moonstruck. Specifically, the scene. (laughs) Was that a good or a bad? Oh Oh, my god! But (laughs) it's the scene where Nicolas Cage says to Cher, "I'm in love with you," and Cher famously says,
0: "I'm going to marry him. Do you hear me? Last night never happened, and I'm going to marry him. And you and I are going to take this to our coffins."
1: I can't do that. Why not? I'm in love with you. Snap out of it!
0: okay you laughed out loud I did okay.
1: I thought it was delivered so well huh. mm-hmm. well she
0: could deliver that line a million times no question yep mm-hmm. okay I, I don't know I had trouble with the arm and the hand and the, <laughs> just uh, you know you know I had you know I have major issues around this film couldn't you have found another one seriously <laughs> and yet you made it through trading places I know Ditto. I know I know it's true <laughs> I know but that was really funny <laughs> I'm telling you it was really funny okay. All right, I'm going to end with Silver Streak. Oh, I never saw that. Okay, so everyone always thinks of Richard Pryor as the funny one between Gene Wilder and him. But Silver Streak, which was circa 1976, I saw it on Christmas Eve, 1976, there was a scene in the men's room where Gene Wilder is trying to disguise himself as a cool black dude. And Richard Pryor, he plays the straight man in it, and it's it's laughed out loud funny. It was like... It was one of the first of four movies they did together: *Stir Crazy*, *Another You*, *See No Evil*, *Hear No Evil*. But my, my favorite that they did was *Screen*, uh, *Silver Streak*. Right? You bet. I put that radio to your ear.
1: That's gonna help cover your face, right? And just move with the rhythm of the music. Move your body with the rhythm of the music. That's all you gotta remember, okay? Let me see you try. Step to the music. Step to the music. Yeah. Step to the music. Stop
0: which also starred Jill Clayburgh, which I think she was at her best. I think it was a really good moment for her. But when the scene where his name was Grover, and so I, I read this and I thought I should, should quote it out here now. When the scene where Grover puts the shoe polish on George's face to make him appear to be black was first filmed, a white man walks in and believed George was black. So Richard Pryor was uncomfortable with the scene and felt it should be funnier if a black man walked in and is not fooled at all. So Pryor asked Arthur Hiller for a reshoot, but Hiller said no. Pryor walked off the set and refused to return to filming until the scene was changed. Hiller relented and Pryor's idea was used for the final cut and it makes the scene. This black guy comes in and says to the guy says to him, "You know, uh, you know you you need to get help you know like what it, it's just really 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 a good scene and what's funny is i chose this silver streak and it turns out in my reading around silver streak it turns out that Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder were supposed to be in Trading Places.
1: Really? Yes,
0: and then um, Richard Pryor had another engagement, so they brought in Eddie Murphy. And then Eddie Murphy said, I don't want to work with Gene Wilder, and then brought in um, you know his own choice. So I just thought that was so funny that the two movies I chose happened to have had some sort of similar something well, or other. Speaking I don't know. of
1: similar... My last one, I kept a backup because I figured it would double yeah. on When Harry Met Sally. So mine also has silver in the title. But I know you're not going to be happy with my choice. Wait, 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 let me guess. S-
0: silver? Do I know
1: this film? hmm Uh-oh. <laughs> you didn't like it. Oh, God. Okay, then go ahead. What is it? <laughs> silver Linings Playbook. Oh. I'm putting in the dancing. Because just okay, when you think... Okay, it was... Fu- it, laugh out loud. Fu- I did. I laughed out loud. Thank you. I mean, just when you think it's not possible to make another dance scene yet another romantic comedy that could make me laugh, that one made me laugh.
0: And also, can I just say, Jennifer Lawrence did it... You know, the woman is fearless. That was fearless acting, mm-hmm. even more so than yes. his acting. She was fearless in that scene. I, I, you Although know what? I think it's brilliant. Great I think it's a brilliant choice. The whole choice. cast was such a strong on I think it's a cast. brilliant choice. Brilliant choice.
1: Well, then I'm gonna I'm gonna end on that up note before I can just go down from here. Well,
0: also I'm gonna put the um I'm gonna put on social media the clips from these movies just so that you can all write to us and say how strong my
1: movies were, even
0: if you haven't seen them
1: <laughs> for next week. I was gonna say so you all can write and tell us what we missed. Yeah. Screen thoughts at No, gmail. I actually like your
0: choices except for Moonstruck, which I think you did just irk me.
1: I love Moonstruck. Yeah, I
0: know. I you know I I don't know how to help you through that.
1: I'm pretty sure I could say Moonstruck and you would just shove off the rescue boat. Excuse me. I save you all the time. I would
0: have given my spot on the boat to Hannibal Lecter. Well, you know, that's a close call. It's true. <laughs>